0: Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Ruth chapter number two, last week we read all of chapter two, we dissected it piece by piece and began to take some lessons from Boaz, and today I just want to read part of chapter two, I want to rehearse a little bit of it, verses four to 14, and then we'll learn a couple more lessons from this man's life. So look at me, if if you would, at verse number four of Ruth chapter number two, excuse me. (coughs) And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, his employees, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Who's that girl? Who she belongs to? Who's she with? Talking about Ruth. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it's the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you. So here's what she said to the foreman. Let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and She's continued from morning until now that she tarried a little in the house, meaning she got here, she said she wanted to work, she rolled up her sleeves, she went to work, she barely took a break in the house. Like this girl, she has a work ethic. Verse number 8, Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter, which basically means listen up, go not to glean in another field, and neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst or thirsty, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell down on her face, and she bowed herself to the ground, and she said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It's been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband. And thou, or how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and you're common to a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Two more verses, and she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. For that thou hast comforted me, and thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaiden, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. And Boaz said to her, At mealtime, come thou hither, eat of the bread, dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. We learned last week, and I'll review it real quick, that Boaz, first of all, labored effectively. This is a man, he's a businessman. Verse number one calls him a mighty man of wealth. Uh, how many of you would love to have that be a descriptor that that's you I'd like to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of wealth, okay? You can be honest. I'll raise my hand. Loving money is, is not a good thing. You don't love money and use people. But this man loves people and he uses money and he leverages money to a beautiful end. So he's a business owner. Uh, he has at least one business. He has employees. You see in verse number five that you meet the foremen. So there's an org chart and it begins to outsource some of the mid-level decisions to people that are under him and run the business effectively that way. Verse number nine, Boaz institutes the first ever on record sexual harassment policy where he tells his guys, don't touch that girl. Don't put your hands on her uh, in a, in an angry way or in a sexual way. You're not allowed to touch her. So this man knows how to make money, he knows how to lead a business, he knows how to take that money that he, that he earns and use it for other people. He sets aside a portion of his inventory for people that are down on their luck, for people that are marginalized, for people that are falling out of the fabric of society, and he helps them. So this man, he is someone who labors effectively, but he also gives benevolently. And the whole passage is riddled with Boaz, number one, meeting the requirements that are contained in the Old Testament law, that he was to set aside the corners of his field and the second pass, the leftovers of his field, for those that were widows, orphans, or foreigners. But then he goes above and beyond what the law of God ever stipulated or required. This man chooses to say, I will do that plus some, plus some more. This man says, I will do that, but I will also give you water. The guys drew it out of the wells on their way to work this morning, but if you need water, go get the water. You want a seat at my table? Come eat at my table. I'll give you some sweet sour sauce to dip your bread in. I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll, he even serves her. He gets the, the roasted corn and begins to serve her. Like, this man goes over the top in blessing her and giving to her, and he says, I see you, Ruth. I see you are falling out of the fabric of society, And I will choose to thread my life into yours and pull you back into the fabric of society. I will choose to disadvantage myself to your advantage, and I will choose to care for you in an over-the-top, benevolent way. Both of those are awesome lessons. If you're gonna work, work hard, work well, earn it. Don't put the dollar first, but earning a buck and learning how to make a buck is a good thing, and then you can use it to bless other people with. Learning to give and to be benevolent is a beautiful thing, but above and beyond that, I would say this. Boaz also led spiritually this is so pronounced in the text and to me it screams off the page that every time you see this guy it's a spiritual thing so verse number four for example you're introduced to Boaz first word you ever see he comes and he says to his employees he gets to the field the Lord be with you and they answered him the Lord bless thee what a way to walk into the office right How many of you, this will not happen tomorrow when you walk into the office, that your boss will not come in and say, the Lord bless you, employees, and all the employees pop their heads up like little gophers out of their hole, up out of the cubicles and say, and the Lord bless you, boss. Like, that doesn't normally happen, right? This is a guy that is going to have a spiritual conversation. Now, mind you, these are the same employees that in verse 9, he says, hey, that girl, don't touch her. That's not communicating a high level of trust, am I right? This is the days of the judges that this is written in, the day when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is the day where there's just complete apathy towards the word of God at best or complete anarchy and just doing whatever they want at worst. And during these days, he knows his employees well enough to say, hey, we've got to have a talk here, we're not going to touch her, and he has to coach them through that and set rules because they're obviously not super stand-up guys right but at the same time with the not super stand-up guys he will have a spiritual conversation he will pronounce a blessing he will engage them and try to be the divine pinball machine well you're an employee of mine but i'm going to bounce you over to god and i'm going to have a conversation along those lines this is a man who has overt faith this is a man who's, who's not buttoned up or calmed down or covert about his faith, but he is open, he is honest about it, he is not timid to engage someone, anyone, in a spiritual conversation. So don't, don't, don't. Let the idea that now it's a little more difficult to be open and public with my faith scare you away from you actually being it. And I dare say that our spiritual forefathers would laugh at our excuses when we don't share our faith like the forefathers that were burned at the stake and put on spikes and fed to lions like those ones i dare say they would look at what we have and say how in the world could you not open up how they're they're going to call you a name i'm not trying to belittle name calling or act like it doesn't affect you or mess with your emotions at all I'm, i'm not but we should get some perspective And we should have learned from this man who is willing, even with the co-workers who he says, don't touch the girl, is the same co workers who says, bless you. God bless you. And they respond in kind. If you look at verse number seven, here's, here's what happens. Ruth says, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and she continued from morning till now and she tarried a little in the house. What does this mean? Boaz isn't there at this point in time. Boaz is in Bethlehem. The foreman's running the show. But his business is a Christian business, and he has taught the employees that we are going to follow the word of God. God's word says, those that are widows, those that are orphans, those that are strangers, Ruth is two of those. She's a widow and a stranger, the foreigner. They get to have access to the inventory. Now remember, the whole story was prefaced by there was a famine in the land, right? You think there's any temptation on on the part of those who have fields and crops when there has been a famine for years, that now there's finally a good yield, that there's some sort of inkling inside that we should restock the pantry because we've been running real low. You think there's a temptation there to say we need all this for ourselves, But Boaz doesn't do that. Now, this is a time when the majority, and if you read the beginning and the end of of chapter number two, you'll see that Naomi says this over and over to Ruth, that you couldn't just go to any old field. There was a lot of risk in even doing what God said you could do because a lot of people in that day and age said, I will brush to the side God's word. I don't care that it said I should do this or that or the other. I'm not going to set that aside for them, and they wouldn't follow the protocols. But this man says at my place, we're following the word of God, and I'm instructing you as my employees, if someone comes under these pretenses, that they get access to the field and he leaves spiritually in that way. Verse 14. Boaz said unto Ruth, At mealtime, come hither. Eat of the bread, dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Over the top, generous. But then listen to this. She sat beside the reapers, or the, the reapers, and you may miss this phrase. It's, it's kind of it's phrased in an old English way. It's funny sounding. He reached her parched corn. You know what that means? That means he took the roasted, grained vegetables, and he served her. That he took that which they had gathered, cooked it up, and then he began to serve her. This didn't happen. It didn't happen for the guy to serve the gal in a highly patriarchal society. It didn't happen. It didn't happen for the rich to serve the poor. For the national to serve the foreigner. But this man exhibits what the Lord Jesus Christ would double down on and say, it's true spiritual leadership. But if you want to lead spiritually, you serve. This this reminds me, honestly, of the upper room and of that last supper, where Jesus gets all the disciples around, and they're eating a meal, and he says, guys, time out, let me serve you. And Peter says, no, 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 you don't serve me, you're the master. And Jesus says, if you want any part of me, I do serve you. And he goes around, and he washes their feet, and he tells them that the greatest among you is the one who serves. This is an Old Testament prototype of that happening that never happened But this man is willing to lead in such a spiritual way that he will take upon him servant leadership and he will serve on the behalf of the good of others, not just himself. But then in verse number 12, this is beautiful. It's even poetic that he tells Ruth, the Lord recompense thy work. A full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. So first of all, he prays over her. He says, Ruth, my prayer for you is that God would would repay you, and that when he repays you, he would pour it out. That he wouldn't throw you a little tip or just some some scraps off his table, that he would pour it out, because I know that you are resting under his wing. It's a beautiful moment. This is all prefaced by him knowing that Ruth has served her mother-in-law in a faithful, loyal way when it wasn't easy to do so, right? I mean, think about living with your mother-in-law full-time and caring for her when she is wide open that I'm bitter, frowny face girl, right? That's not easy. It's not easy to get someone to, to click on you and send you a message on, on christianmingle.com when you have, you know, an angry mother-in-law in the background photobombing your profile pic. Like, that. that doesn't work out well. <laughs> That's where Ruth is. And he says, I know you're loyal. I know you're sacrificing. I see what you're doing. And I'm I'm praying for you. I'm praying God would be generous to you, that he would be really generous to you. And then that phrase, under whose wings are come to trust. What Boaz does, as Boaz says, Ruth, let me make a little nest for you. My field, your nest, come, have food, have protection. The guys won't touch you. You're safe here. You're cared for here. You'll, You'll be loved here. She goes on to say, you've comforted me. You've been friendly to me. You'll be cared for. And I'll provide the nest, but Ruth, never forget, you're under God's wing. He's using me, and, and he's, he's blessing me, and I will bless you, but you're under his wing. He's the ultimate provider. He's the ultimate protector. He's, the one, he's this man that says, I'll do what I can, and I will lead spiritually, but I will point you back to God at every moment that I can, right? This is a, It's a beautiful lesson for how we should interact with those that we're trying to lead. It's a beautiful lesson for a husband to say, hey, babe, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll go to work. I'll work hard. I will try to be that umbrella of authority. I will try to lead spiritually. But ultimately, I'm going to fall short, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail you here and there. And God is, is the ultimate one that we should keep our eyes on, right? It's a beautiful lesson to take your little kid. You know, I have, I have a 7-year-old, to pull him to the side and say, hey, does Daddy love you? Yeah. Does daddy want to protect you and care for you and provide for you and give you the food and give you the clothes that you need? Yeah, that's true. Daddy does love you, but nobody loves you like God loves you, not even daddy. Nobody protects and cares for you like God will protect and care for you. Everything's from his hand, right? There's a way to say, hey, I'm gonna take my responsibility and I'm gonna lead spiritually and I will do this. I'll make the nest. But it's God ultimately that I point them to and direct them to and allow them to see that he's in charge and that he gets the glory and that he's the one that's ultimately been gracious. And Boaz leads in this way. It's my great honor to provide for you, but God ultimately does it. He's not going to spend his life chasing the the latest fad or the latest girl you find that a romance is going to blossom but he's not like overly infatuated and just treating ruth like she's eye candy and trying to manipulate her it's not happening this is a single man who's willing to lead well i think it's important for those that are that are younger singles to understand that this is the pattern that you should follow to have character that is praiseworthy to have a faith that is active To want to serve the Lord even if you are 19 or 20 or 25 or whatever it is the cultural vibe for single people right now is live for yourself work earn, live for yourself do what you want, buy what you want become extremely focused on yourself which is easy to do when you don't have a spouse or children that you have to consider live for yourself go to college, major in beer and girls then when you get out aim for fun If you meet someone and you're living together, okay, all these things are normal in our culture, but they're not righteous and they're not healthy and they're not good. And here's a guy who says, I'll do this the right way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Married men. Okay, Boaz isn't a married guy, but I I really do believe he'll be married soon, if you keep reading the book, that Elimelech in chapter 1 serves as a literary foil for Boaz in chapter number 2. They contrast with each other. Elimelech is the guy who is pseudo-spiritual, who has lip service to God, but no life service for God. He's the guy who purports himself to be religious, and he will provide for his family in a financial way, but he will not provide for his family in a spiritual way. Right? We, We did this week one. We hit this. He'll, he'll say, okay, I need to put bread on the table, and he'll take them to Moab, but he won't think about, well, who's going to be my wife's prayer partner down there? Are my kids going to be around other believers? Where are we going to go to church? Uh, who are we going to share life with in a, in a healthy way that's God-honoring? None of that is in the equation, so he really messes it up. But Boaz is the opposite. Boaz is this man that will lead spiritually, that will pray for people, that will engage people, that he is a man that's a spiritual leader. You're getting the picture. I could beat the drum all day long, but I'll, I'll cut it there. Take a page from this man's book, whether you are young, old, male, or female, I don't care, and say, you know what? That's good. That's fitting. That's right. I want to be that person. But lastly, Boaz showed hospitality. Look at these two verses. Look at verse number 10. Ruth falls on her face, and she bows herself to the ground, and she says unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me? And then if you're in the habit of underlining stuff, underline this phrase, seen, i am a stranger verse number 13 she doubles down on it she said let me find favor in thy sight my lord for thou hast comforted me that's a beautiful word there It, it literally means you've helped me emotionally you've allowed me to breathe deeply what she's saying is you have released you have relieved my tensions you have relieved my mind so that i can you've comforted me you've allowed me to exhale Then she says this. She says, you've spoken friendly to me. You are not rough. You are not gruff. Now, Boa, his name literally means strong man, okay? He's a strong dude. He'll he'll be the boss. He'll tell the guys, don't put your hands on her. He'll be tough, but he's tender too. You've been friendly to me. And then underline this phrase. Though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. You know what she says? She says, you've been gracious and you've comforted and you've loved, and you've been friendly, and you've favored me, and you've cared for me, but I know. I know I'm an outsider. I know I don't fit in. I know I don't look like them, or talk like them, or dress like them, or any of it. May it be true and be said of us as it was of Boaz that you are mindful of the outsider, and you will comfort, you will be friendly, you will favor you will try to bless those that are the outsiders so by outsider you could apply that in a lot of ways most specifically those that aren't part of our faith family that come in this morning they're sprinkled all out throughout the room people some of you have met some of you haven't but aren't part of this faith family but they're here who are more or less outsiders they don't know you they don't know how things work they don't know how to sign up for a group they don't they don't know anything they're just here We should be the people that say we want to greet, we want to love, we want to give you a gift or a Bible or a welcome basket. We want to look and be mindful and not just be clicky. And just me and my group, and so I, I have my friends and I feel good and I like church and I like the experience, but to say it's not all about me. There are other people who need a faith family and who need to be welcomed and who need to be loved and who need to have the gospel shared with them and need to learn and grow. There are other people, so may we forever be mindful when we're out in the community and when we're here at church that there are outsiders that will come, that we should be the people that they say, you comfort, you're friendly, man, you're good, I like you. Even if they don't agree with our theology or end up sticking around for a long time, at the very least, they should feel warmth. And love and friendliness, that should be, I think it is, but it should always be us. So I encourage you, church member, and hear me well on this. I don't care if you are 30 years or three months. If if this is your home, go out of your way to shake a hand. I know COVID's happened and, and COVID turned all churches like clinical, right? Mask and sitting here and should I shake someone's hand or I don't want to spread germs whatever so be mindful of that if someone's wearing a mask maybe you're going to fist bump them or just wave but but go out of your way to shake a hand go out of your way to smile go out of your way to be friendly go out of your way to say hey we're getting lunch you want to come with us I know we don't know each other that well but we love we love to hang out hey we have group on Wednesday you want you want to come to our group go out of your way to be that person be friendly and not weirdly friendly I guess I should say that okay we've all met people that are like like too friendly, right, and it creeps you out, so don't be creepy, but be genuine, right? May there be a genuine, authentic warmth for people that are on the outside. I know there's a lot of people in the room. I know there's lots of families, but there are still more people that need the Lord, that need the Bible, that need His love in their life. There, there are still more people that need that, and we should be mindful of that, so let me admonish you there, but let me, let me end by thanking you. Because my wife and I know what it's like to be the outsiders coming into not just a church, but this church, right? Most of you know our story, but if you don't, my wife and I moved here right at about seven years ago. We moved here from California. We didn't come here to be on staff of the church. We didn't come here to pastor. We had no, no plan at all of seven years later standing here talking to you. That was not in the deck of cards. It just wasn't. I don't get into why all we were here, but we came in just as church members. People who walked in didn't know what was where. I'm supposed to go to group in what room? I don't know what room 400 is. Where do we go? People who went into a room. I can still remember uh, uh, Alan Keener. I'm scanning for Alan. He's probably in here somewhere. Oh, he's not here, Sue. All right. I can still remember Alan hugging us. I'm a big old teddy bear. He didn't know me. Hey, what's your name? Giving me a side hug. I can still remember Phil and Tammy and some of you in that group welcome us in. Justin and Jess having us over to their house to play some Settlers of Catan and, you know, eat some snacks back when we had like two kids each. It's <laughs> a long time ago, buddy. <laughs> I can remember Tom Waddell knowing we were looking for a place to live and helping us connect the dots and find a place to live and on and on I could go. Of you guys loving us and being friendly to us not because there was some advantage or I was the pastor it was none of that we were just like you just sitting there in church but you were warm and friendly and encouraging and on behalf of my family that meant the world to us honestly we're not here if not for that we don't love the weather patterns (laughs) you know if that's a surprise we don't love the topography. We like the sports teams. But uh, w- w- the reason we stuck, the reason we're here is because of you, because of the people that we love to pieces and we knew loved us. But I want, I want to dispense that to other people. And I want you to dispense that to other people because there are other people that need it just as desperately as we did moving to an area with no family. There are just as many people. And if there should be people that are good at this, man, shouldn't it be Christian people? Boaz, in many ways, is Jesus in embryonic form. He's a prototype of Jesus. A man who says, outsider, stranger, foreigner, doesn't matter. Break down the walls. Sit at my table. I love you. I welcome you. Jesus goes out of his way and his disciples when they write the New Testament they, I think, even go further out of their way to say, in Jesus, the way that they would put it is, there's no barbarian, Scythian, bond, free, male, female. Those partitions that divide most of society, they don't exist in Jesus. And the way we'd put it is this. doesn't matter your party affiliation. doesn't matter if you grew up in church or if you've never been in church in your life doesn't matter if you're if you're clean cut or not doesn't matter if you oh you can contribute financially or you can't contribute financially none of that matters doesn't matter if you if you look all moralistic and buttoned up or if you don't look moralistic and buttoned up those things don't matter they shouldn't matter jesus is the ultimate one that said hey i got i got i got a bar for entry you have to repent of your sins and have faith the end No matter what you look like. It don't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter your pedigree. None of that matters. If you put your faith in me, I got you. My arms are wide open. And we as a church should forever be those people who model Jesus and say, hey, if if you know him, you want him, you love him, welcome. It does not matter what you look like or what you've done or what the past, it doesn't matter. You're welcome because that's what Jesus has done for us. And it felt real good in my life So I give it to other people. May we be the Boazes who say, hey, I'll show generosity. I'll show generosity. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.